1: Welcome to episode 433, where I sat down with Loro, Lash, or Trendelvel, the stunts behind, one of the stuntmen behind Rimmel in the Bronx and The Last Samurai. I wanted to become a stuntman since I was eight years old, Lash told me. He also talks about his work in Last Samurai and Ninja Turtles The Next Mutation, working with Chuck Norris, how he got to work with Jackie Chan, getting shot on a Chuck Norris movie two years before the Brandon Lee Accident, training with Fumio Damora, who's the real Miyagi, and how the stunt world is actually small and family-oriented. This interview, we also discuss Charlene Royer. You can listen to her interview back in 4.13. This is a special interview associated with my first documentary, Daredevil Society, a series about the history of stunt performers, including everyone from Buster Keaton to Jackie Chan to Zoe Bell to Keanu Reeves. You can learn more or become an investor at daredevilsociety.com slash
2: docu-series. Oh, my God, I wanted to become a stuntman when I was eight years old. Um, my mom took me to a Chuck Norris movie, and about halfway through the movie, I pointed up at the screen and said, that's what I want to be when I grow up. And she said, what, Chuck Norris? I said, no, the guy, he's kicking through the wall. <laughs> I always like to smash and crash into things and jump off of things. And and uh, she said, oh, you want to be a stuntman? Because she grew up in L.A., so she uh, she knew what a stuntman was and had a, a brush with the business herself. So, um, yeah, she... she educated me a little bit. And then from then on, I went to the library and got every book I could on stunts or stuntmen and trained in that direction. So that's what uh, got me started on the path.
1: Were you kind of in the beginning, were you like an all around guy? Did you focus on martial arts? How did you kind of break in?
2: Well, I grew up on a ranch riding horses and and doing all kinds of backwood shit. So, you know, learned to drive when I was six. And, but uh, I, I focused on martial arts when I was uh, probably about 15, 16. So I actually started watching Chuck Norris movies and I bought myself a heavy bag. I'd watch the movies and I'd go down and emulate his moves on the, on the heavy bag. And uh, that got me started and, and actually kind of self-taught some techniques. And then I started training in uh, traditional martial arts in uh, Shotokan first, which uh, was, I was probably about 17, 18 at the time. And uh, I thought, you know, I started skydiving at the same time. You know, and I thought, well, that'll be great for stunts, and obviously martial arts will be great for stunts. Skydiving got expensive, and I realized that there's a fight scene of some sort in almost every movie, from a slap in the face to an all-out brawl. So I thought, okay, that's my path because you know I'll get I'll get more work that way, sort of thing. So that kind of led me into into that path. So when I first got on the sets and got started, it was, you know, I'm a fight guy and I'm a horse guy, mm-hmm. but I quickly diversified and and well-rounded and, and became quickly known as the all-around guy so I was doing high falls and fire burns and motorcycle stuff and car stuff and you know just I knew the more I the more skills I had the more I'd work that was because I'm, I'm five six I'm not a big guy so I don't double a lot of lead actors they're usually around six feet tall so I had to diversify and, and uh, you know get as many skill sets as I could.
1: But even like at, at that height, that probably I imagine that puts you perfect for like go against Tom Cruise or Jackie Chan or some of those guys that are also not not massive. Um, one of the first big action movies I saw as a kid was probably Rumble in the Bronx. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got that role and, and kind of moved into it?
2: That was the craziest thing I've ever experienced in this business in 35 years. It was really cool. But anyway, I went in for uh for an audition and uh, they said I looked too young and I was clean-shaven and everything like that. So wasn't going to get on the show, and I was dying to work with Jackie Chan. Oh my God, I watched so many of his movies, and and uh, he was a hero of mine. So anyway, I, I ended up growing a goatee, and and I was working on another show. And the stunt coordinator, who was a friend of mine, Mark Akerström, rest in peace, he's gone now. But uh, he uh, he came over, and and I said, Hey, Mark, take a picture of me, Polaroid, you know, because we were doing Polaroids back then, and, and take it back and see if you can submit me again. And, and sure enough, he did, and uh, they called me back in. But this time I went in and I had to read with Jackie and I had to do a little fight scene with him in the room. And uh, I left the room and they said, stick around. Two minutes later, they came out and said, you got job. Okay, great. And uh, so then I started doing wardrobe and stuff. And I said, uh, you know, is there, is there anything to read, any scripts or whatever? And they gave me a, a, like an eight-page synopsis of the movie. There was no script. never was a script. We, we never saw one the whole time we were shooting or anything like that. So they contracted me for 10 days. And we got started and and then we got pulled into fight scenes with Jackie and stuff. And next thing, you know, uh, I mean by the end of the show was fifty five days later, and I was finally off the show. you know, but it was it was crazy. I mean we played hacky sack with Jackie in between every take and you know, and and the way Jackie puts his fights together was just new to us and phenomenal and such a learning experience because he you know, puts it together in chunks there was never a master. So we didn't fight from A to Z ever. It was like, Okay, he'd work out with his guys three to six moves, and let's do this and jump on the pool table and flip off of that and then kick this guy and smash this guy with a bottle. Okay, that's enough. And then they'd put us in our places, and we'd run through it with them, and then, okay, shoot. Then we get that done. Okay, bring in his Hong Kong guys. we go this next six moves, and then you guys come in, and we'll kick the shit out of you.
1: (laughs) I mean, like for fans of Jackie Chan, you know that he fights a lot of the same guys over and over. Was that before the stunt team, or were you guys kind of mixed in with the stunt team?
2: He brought his stunt team, and uh, and then we got mixed in because Jackie's really cool. He, he never likes to make one race the bad guy. So he it's an eclectic group of bad guys. We had black guys. I was the Mexican guy. We had an Italian guy. We had a white looking supremacist guy, you know, and and Chinese guys. And so it was just a bag, a mixed bag. So yeah, it was it was a lot of fun, but it was it was kind of funny because uh, there was no there was no di- We had dialogue. We were the actors as well. So, but there was no script. So. They had a, a Chinese dialogue coach there, and he, you know, we'd block out the scene, and Jackie would show us what he wanted to do, and then the guy would come and go, what you say in this situation? And uh, I was a Mexican guy, so I'd say, well, uh, oh, yo, keep awesome, man, what you doing? And he'd go, yeah, you say that, and then that was the line, you know, sort of thing, and it went on that way through the whole movie. We just kind of made it up as we went along.
1: Could you kind of like um, describe maybe how long it took to do maybe just pick one of the fights? There's a convenience store fight, there's the alley fight, and then there's like the bad guy headquarters fight. Mm-hmm. The headquarters fight seems like, I mean, there is some natural progression to the way he's moving through the the everything, I guess you'd say. But can you kind of describe some of those action scenes you were in?
2: Well, the the grocery store fight was the the first one that we did, and it was it was the most memorable for me because it was fun. We walked in there, and they said, "You stand here, you stand here, you stand here." And Jackie steps in the middle of us, and he, and okay, in action. I went, whoa. We we're like, "What are we doing? What are we doing?" Oh, and then the guys started showing us, "Okay, you're this guy, and you do these moves, and you're this guy, and you're you know you're going to do these moves." And so, um, and, and I was I was pretty young and excited and stuff, and there was a big pile of pepsi cans you know made into a tower sort of thing in the grocery store there i said jackie can you throw me in there he says no no the audience is expecting that i'm not going to throw anybody in there because they're gonna they're gonna see that and they go he's gonna throw somebody through that right so anyway i I had a bit of a fight with jackie and he beat shit out of me and then he kicks me into the the shelving unit and next thing you know okay next next setup and you here take a knife. You come at me, and if you give it to the Italian guy, Chris Franco, and Chris comes at the knife, wraps his arm, spins them around, throws him through the Pepsi cans. I'm like, ah, shit! I wanted to go through there, but that was where that's where we learned that we were just going to make up our dialogue at the at the moment, and yeah, it was just all all make it up as you go along, and it was it was great, and we just kept going, and Jackie get on the phone and call Hong Kong, and ask for more money, and we just keep going, and just it just went and went and went and went. It was. ton of fun ton of fun
1: and like i feel like a little bit after that movie he got hollywood put a lot more parameters on him with wires and everything else this one felt pretty like free for all was that kind of your take on the some of the stunts he was doing in that
2: oh 100 percent. i mean there was there was barely any wire work um i can recall half a dozen you know just assists you know he wasn't ever flying or anything it was very realistically based so it was it was great but uh yeah, it was. It was just, um, you know, the whole truck thing and jumping off uh, off the roof of the parkade was just uh, phenomenal. And actually, I almost I got this close to doubling Jackie for that jump. So one day, uh, Stanley Tong, the director, and Jackie said, "Come, come, go over here." And they had built a box rig off of another level of that parking garage, and it was the same level as what that doorway was in the in the apartment across the alley that Jackie jumped to, a uh, jump through. And and so we we all did the jump into the cardboard boxes to check the distance and, and make it between the door and everything like that. And, and I did it and Stanley, who was the director did it and Jackie did it. And uh, it's like, Oh man, I hope Stanley's tired that day and doesn't want to do it, you know, sort of thing. Cause he, he was a stunt guy before he was a director. Mm. And uh, sure enough, that day he got out from the director's chair and threw on the clothes and jumped across the alley. And uh, I, was, I was so close. And then, and then every day after work, we had our cars parked on that parking, Parkade up on like the seventh level and I would climb up the outside of the parkade and reach from floor to floor and pull myself up and then go to the next one. And Jackie saw me do that one day. And he says, I want to do that in the movie, but I want you to double me. And I was like, yes, I'll get to double him. And then I ended up being on another show for a couple of days. And that's when they shot that. And Jackie said, Oh, I did it myself. <laughs> <laughs> and- but yeah, a lot of fun on that show.
1: I mean, that was kind of the, I feel like when that came out, and this was a long time ago, but I feel like the marketing around it was also like no stuntman, no equal or something like that. Like, did he feel that pressure to do all these things on camera, I guess?
2: Well, he had always done that in all his Hong Kong films, right? And this was, uh, you know, kind of his big American North American debut. And he totally wanted to do everything. The only reason he didn't do that jump is because it was just a ridiculous risk for to have him do that and and we had an airbag on the ground down below but there was wires across and anything could have happened i mean if it didn't quite make it or something broke you know it was it just wasn't gonna be a good thing and and the show would have went down for sure i mean he broke his ankle anyway jumping onto the hovercraft and he ended up putting a cast on it and then and then pulled a sock over top of it that was colored like a tennis shoe and then he carried on with the show <laughs> you know it's just like go 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 jackie there stops
1: and that one scene, I mean, watching everything he does, that was a relatively simple jump. It's just like you can get hurt anywhere, basically doing stuff like that.
2: Well, when you jump onto a moving craft or vehicle, you know, you got that that twist level that's, you're not landing solid. It's going to tear something, you know, so it's it's very highly likely you're going to blow an ankle or a knee when you jump onto something that's moving. And He did it. <laughs>
1: Did you guys shoot, like, was it shot linear at all? Was the hovercraft the last thing he shot just kind of all, however y'all could get the scheduling, I guess, right? Yeah, it was all yeah. over the place. Yeah. Um, so I talked to Charlene. She's the one that recommended I reach out to you. Did she tell me that you were shot early in your career? Is that
2: true? Yeah. So another you know, Chuck Norris story. So, uh, I mean, my sensei, Fumio Demra, who just passed away last week, um, he was good friends with Chuck Norris. They trained when Chuck came back from Korea and, and they became really good buddies. And uh, Chuck would come to his tournament every every season in February. But Chuck was shooting a movie up here called The Hitman. And um, I was just a young stunt guy. I tried out for the show again. I looked too young and, and uh, they didn't pick me. And uh, Sensei Demura sent me a letter. said, can you go to the set and get Chuck to sign this? It was for his brochure for his tournament, right? And uh, so he got called Chuck and I got access to the set and Chuck was signing the letter and he says, so you flew all the way up here from California to, to get me to sign this? And I said, no, no, I live here. I thought you were one of these students from California. I said, yeah, but I, I live here now. What are you doing here? I'm trying to get into stunts. Oh, why didn't you tell me? i put you in the movie. So he said, stick around, have lunch, and uh, we'll find something for you to do. So they made up this stunt. Uh, there was a scene where they were going to Kill their best friend because he had been tortured almost to death and he was still alive. So they're going to put him out of his misery. So they put me on the table and I, and the guy had been cut open and his guts were put on his chest and he was still breathing. And, and, you know, Chuck's supposed to shoot him in the head. He can't do it. Hands the gun to Al Waxman, this other actor, and he's supposed to shoot him. And I'm supposed to do the funky chicken and fall off the table. And that was it. You know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a big stunt, but they found something for the kid to do, right? Well, long story short, this stunt coordinator had been sent home. The armor had been sent home and uh the director got excited he wanted more flash coming out of the gun so they poured gunpowder they gave it to the props and they said what makes the flash gunpowder okay so let's put more in there so they poured gunpowder down the barrel on top of a full load blank so that just turned the gun into a pipe bomb basically now there's a little piece that's screwed into the end of a, a gun especially a nine millimeter semi-automatic so it, it makes your barrel you screwed in there it's a fitting makes it down to about that small so it's called a choke So it causes back pressure and that's what ejects the empty shell. So when you shoot a gun and the shells are flying out, it's because there's back pressure that kicks it out. Now, usually there's a bullet traveling down the barrel that causes that back pressure, no bullet because it was a blank, but they had that plug in there. Well, there was so much powder that it stripped the threads off that plug and blew it out like a bullet. So it went in my side, went through my stomach and and stopped in my liver. So I, my diaphragm was paralyzed immediately. I was, I couldn't breathe and, They didn't know what happened. They couldn't figure it out. And finally, they got an ambulance there about 45 minutes later, rushing me to the hospital, and I was throwing up blood. And they just slipped me open and started fixing everything because, you know, your intestine does this. So it made a lot of holes on the way through. And, uh, yeah, three operations later and four months recovery, and I was back at it.
1: So would you define that one as more of like almost like an explosive type of accident, as opposed to like when someone fires a gun on set and there's a a live round in it, like, how do you see the two? How do you all comes
2: down to the same thing? We never have to point a gun at anybody on a film set. Mm -hmm. There's something called angles Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, so it looks like I'm pointing at my head, but my, my fingers actually pointing here. So you can't tell that I wouldn't be shooting me in the head sort of thing. So we can always cheat the angle and, uh, for safety, it, it never needs to happen. And that was a horrible, horrible mistake. And Brandon Lee's happened almost two years to the date right after me. Um, you know, and then of course we're all hurt or rust lately. It's just, it's just ridiculous. There's there's safety protocols and you start breaking those and shit's gonna happen and somebody's gonna get hurt or die. And it's it's really easy safety protocols. You shine a light down the barrel, and make sure there's nothing in it. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you're putting in a dummy round which does have a bullet in it, you shake it and there's a ball bearing in there. Okay, there's no powder, it's not gonna It's not, it's not a real bullet. It's not going to fire. If you pull a full load blank in there, you just don't point it at anybody. You make sure it, you know, there's enough explosion out of a full load blank. It can blind you. It can, it can kill you. John Hexon put one to his head and killed himself. You know, it's, it's just so it's a real gun. Don't fuck around with it. You know, it's pretty simple. I fired people off my sets for, for fucking around with rubber guns. You know, it's like, if you get the habit of pointing at people, whether it's a rubber gun and somebody hands you a, a blank gun, you're going to have that habit, right? So just don't point at people. It's super simple. Hmm.
1: Is it typically low-budget movies where this happens or it could happen anywhere? Is it, how do you kind of see the bigger problem that's happened over the history of film with live rounds?
2: It can happen anywhere. It's, it's just complacently on the part of a few crew members that, you know, you know, think that they're always safe. And yeah, that guy took care of it when it was partially their responsibility. You know, it's got to go through the armor and the AD and the stunt coordinator should look at the gun too. And, you know, there should be at least three checks on that gun and and show it to the actor. The actor has got to feel confident with it too, or the stunt person that's being fired at or vice versa. You know, it's just a a safety protocol that has to be adhered to every single time. And and it doesn't matter the budget just matters. You know, if somebody gets lazy.
1: As you started to kind of move in to get more and more credits as, as a stuntman, um, did you find it to be kind of a relatively small world? Like it's just a, a handful of relationships or is it, how do you kind of think about the overall stunt world as you were kind of coming up?
2: It's a, it's very small and it's, um, it's very family orientated, very click orientated. You know, <laughs> you have different groups. Uh, Los Angeles has several, we've got two here in, in Vancouver and uh, you know, you just, like-minded people gravitate to each other and uh you know there's t- very talented people in the other group here and and stuff and there's no rhyme or reason why guys end up one way or another but um it's all about connection so it's all about who you know and who you work with and who you learn from and it can be very political it's it's toned down a lot over the years from the time i started there was a time when i started where it's like if you work for that guy you're not working for me mm. you know it was that it was that blatant and now that's not that way anymore you know um still there's a lot of people that don't like each other at times but uh you know everybody has differences of opinion on how things should be done and but uh, these days it seems like everybody gets over it quicker and moves on and still works together so but yeah i mean i've gone on to you know become a a coordinator and a second director and a director and and it's i never really knew the value as a younger stuntman of of connections and and keeping in touch with people and and stuff like that because inevitably you're going to meet up again and if they remember you and you did a good job and and you've kind of stayed in touch and kept a relationship going you're most likely to work together again um you know for instance i just finished a tv series called shogun which was a 10-part miniseries over 14 months so it was a, a slew of work and for me it was my second samurai project in my career which i thought there would only be one I had worked on the last Samurai with Tom Cruise, and Hero uh, Sonata was number three on that show. He was a very prominent character, and we worked together a lot on fight scenes and stuff like that. Well, Hero remembered me. and when Shogun came along, he was a producer and he was also the lead actor on the show. So when they came to Vancouver, he said, "You guys got to call Laurel." So you know it was kind of a done deal when when they called me and and that was through a relationship. We had stayed in touch over the years, not not a lot, but just touch base every so often. and what are you doing? How are you doing? love to work with you again, you know, and uh, it's, 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 it's easy, but it's not because we get so busy and, you know, going a million different directions. Sometimes it's hard to stay in touch, but yeah, it's, it's very relationship and orientated. And if your friends are got the skills, why wouldn't you want to work with your friends? Right. Yeah.
1: Sorry, I'm jumping around a little bit. Uh, also something Charlene said, where does the nickname Lash come from?
2: Hmm. Well, my name is Laurel, which is Spanish or also common in Italian, but it's very difficult for most people to say they always say laurel they think there's an el on the end or something or they just say Loro like zorro right wow anyway i don't i i gave up trying to convince people how to say it properly because it's just <laughs> anyway this one stunt coordinator couldn't remember my name because he'd never heard that name before so he finally started calling me lash larue who was a very famous silent movie stunt man with a bullwhip and and everything. And so he, he always called me Lash LaRue and then everybody started just kind of calling me Lash. It just kind of fell off to Lash. And then I ended up uh, being uh, voted into a group here called Stunts Canada. And and they, when you join, they they give you a jacket and a stunt bag and a you know, buckle and this, that. And my name Lash was already on it when I got it. So that was, it was a done deal at that point. It was sealed.
1: So you got, you got a ton of credits. I do want to highlight a few more though. Tell me about Ninja Turtles next mutation. I think you were well, Michelangelo. How did, how did that kind of come to be?
2: That was the toughest job in this business I've ever had, physically, mentally, being in that rubber suit and and trying to flip and fight without being able to see. Like literally, there were slits under the eyes. So these nice bags I have under my eyes, they had those in the mask too. And that's where we were looking out of actually not the big eyes. But they were this far away from your face right so you're always trying to find what you're looking at and you had no peripheral vision you know and you're supposed to throw a sidekick just out there and hit you know hit somebody and then fight with somebody over here and so that was tricky and then trying to flip with that head my arms with the head being so big would just barely reach past my head so doing round off back handspring backflip with that thing on i used to ask them if i could have the suit for the weekend and i would go to the park and I'd, I'd get my dresser to come with me, and I, we would put the suit on. So I'd do all my flipping routine with no head on. And then I would do it again with my eyes closed, because you could never see anything. And then I'd put the head on and start doing it with the head. It was just such a process. But I got that job. Um, a local Canadian stunt coordinator got it, he knew me and knew my martial arts background and my gymnastics background. And I was actually living in Los Angeles at the time, but he called me and asked me if I'd come back and do it. And, and uh, of course I was, I was thrilled. My kids were just this high. And so for their dad to be a ninja turtle, that was like off the charts at school, you know, (laughs) and they got to come to set and put the heads on and hang out and stuff. So it was uh, yeah, big, big points for dad uh, at that time.
1: Is there, is that a type of fighting that they do, or is it more about just an equal amount of kicking and punching? Like what kind of fighting might you describe that as?
2: Well, we also had, we did uh, Kabuto because we we all had weapons, right? So I had trained in Kabuto with Sensei Demra. I'd done Tanfa, Kama, Nunchaku, Sai, Bo, you know, and I ended up with, I was Michelangelo, so I should have had Nunchaku, but when they did the TV series, which I was working on, they decided, you know, that was an illegal weapon, so they didn't want to promote that to the kids, so they gave me Tanfa. So I I, I fought with Tanfa on the show. So there was, you know, there was weapons, and we just, you know, kind of, tried to balance it out. Sometimes we pull out our weapons and, and sometimes we wouldn't. And then if we had our weapons, we were still throwing kicks, you know, and then they always wanted, wanted me to flip off of something. None of the other guys at that time on the show were gymnastically inclined. So I would go change suits and then I'd flip as Leonardo and then I'd go change suits and I'd flip as Raphael and, you know, different things like that. But uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was just a mixed bag and, and, you know, it was no, no particular style. We didn't uh, try to formulate or copy any particular style was just uh, throw out the techniques that worked for the shot and, and, you know, what we could do or what we wanted to do, what felt good, what was cool. You know, always trying to make it cool for the kids.
1: So you get a lot of great advice already about um, learning as many skills as you can. It's a relationship business. Any other advice for people trying to break in today, how they might can, you know, kind of get noticed or even get on their first job.
2: I always tell the new kids on the block, Practice the three L's, look, listen, and learn, right? Too many people come into this business thinking that they've got to talk too much and, you know, look at me and pay attention to me. And that's how I'm going to get the next job and move up because you're going to be paying attention to me. But it's, you know, stay humble, stay real, keep your feet on the ground. We're all just people doing a job. And no matter how talented you are, how good you are, there's always someone better. And you know what, I, I'm, I'm proud of a lot of people in this business have done an amazing job. But sometimes I see it go to their head, and they just turn into different people. And it makes me want to cry because they they were, to me, they were good people at one time. And it's hard to talk to them anymore sometimes. So it's just, it's, it's easy. It's easy to be nice to people. You know, that PA that's parking your car or helping you park your car, don't shit on them because they tell you not to park here and park over there. Just be nice to them. You know, give them a stunt hat you know what, that worked for me. I gave a PA a stunt hat. 20 years later, she was a, a production manager and hired me on a show. It's just so easy to be nice. You don't need to be a dick. And and I see people turning dicks all the time because their head gets too big. So just keep your feet on the ground, do a great job, practice, train, be nice to people. It's really easy, it's really simple.
0: Thanks so much for tuning into the show. Before you tick off, I want to give you a free gift. I'm giving you my first book Ink by the Barrel for free. That's the digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com. Inside this book, you'll learn how to annihilate writer's block by embracing Elizabeth Gilbert's playful trickster mentality, you can learn to weaponize your anxiety with Kevin Kelly's different is better approach, and learn how to defend your time with Ryan Holiday's calendar anorexia mindset. There's just a few other ideas in the book, Ink by the Barrel. It's also based on over 400 interviews I've done right here on Creative Principles. So go steal that book right now, Ink by the Barrel, to learn how to be a prolific writer. You can get your copy, that's digital download and audiobook, at brockswinson.com, B-R-O-C-K-S-W-I-N-S-O-N.com. And if it's your first time here, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Make sure you hit that subscribe button so you never missed an episode.